going in-depth on pro-life news and issues. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Ireland's Director of Communication and Education. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We're almost there, just a couple more days. And uh, we'd like to start out the podcast, uh, this episode, just being thankful. Um, we have so much to be thankful for in the pro-life movement, and often we lose sight of that. So often on the podcast, we share stories that are, uh, you know, always educational, but often upsetting, controversial, frustrating. But in reality, uh, we do have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, If you look at the abortion statistics overall, abortions continue to drop. They've been dropping for years. Of course, there's still many, many abortions out there, but uh, we've dropped almost uh, more than half a million abortions. And so that's something to celebrate. Uh, In Michigan, we've gone, you know, abortions have dropped in half from their highs in the the late 1980s. And that's something to celebrate. Of course, there's so many lives lost, yet so many people are alive today. And the only reason that they're alive is our efforts. And often, uh, maybe in 100%, um, you know, 99% of those cases, they have no idea that the pro-life movement that you and me were the only thing standing in the way uh, between them and death. And so that's thankful. In the last year, uh, we have a lot of things to be thankful for. You know, we've run into issues on social media, which are frustrating, but they've been resolved thanks to the media stepping in. And I'm not always the most complimentary of reporters in the media in general, but in that case, they, they did their jobs. They just simply asked questions and got us access back. You know, we we have a new Supreme Court justice who so far looks to be a very, very good pick and who puts us maybe only one vote away from Roe versus Wade. That is going to be such an amazing change in our society if if we can get there. Uh, You know, there's rumors now that Anthony Kennedy might retire shortly after Thanksgiving. Um, Are they true? Who knows? But that's something to be thankful for. We were very close to being in the other situation where right now there'd be a 6-3 to three majority in favor of Roe and five of those votes would be hardcore opposing every single pro-life law imaginable. And right now we could be facing a situation where almost all the work that we've done in the last 40 years, all the culmination, all the progress we've made moving down the field could have been taken away with the stroke of a pen. Of course that wouldn't mean that we would simply go away, but it would mean a lot of effort will have been taken away. But we're not there. We should be very thankful that we're in the opposite situation today. You know, we've been very blessed in our activities, and and really all of these activities are because of you, you who are listening to this podcast. The pro-lifers in Michigan are simply a, a wonderful bunch and the story that we're going to talk about uh, in a few minutes about how um, you know saving a life uh, through abortion pill reversal is a perfect example of how in Michigan we're blessed to have local communities uh, partnering with other pro-life individuals and organizations that work in uh, slightly separate spheres. And, and we're all together as a statewide movement moving forward and saving lives. 
And so ultimately, all the things that we're thankful for really depend on you. And, and that's who we're really thankful for. Because without you, without you uh, as members of our affiliates, donors, just pro-life people sharing a life-affirming message out there, none of the things that we've been able to achieve would have been possible. And so from the bottom of our hearts this Thanksgiving season, thank you. Just one story I want to talk about, uh, talk about before we get to our very heartwarming story. Um, and this is not a heartwarming story, unfortunately. So we're from thankful and gracious to, oh, I can't believe they did that. That was quick, wasn't it? But that's the reality, again, of our issues. As we, It's an ongoing theme of this podcast. So, uh, as we've talked about uh, in a recent podcast, the story of Genevieve Marnin's dad, Bob Tank. Genevieve works in our legislative office. And her dad went through a really terrible experience at the end of life. And uh, his experience is very emblematic of many stories that we've been hearing lately. And uh, we've brought bills forward to take care of two specific problems. One of them is secret DNR orders, where a do not resuscitate order is placed in a patient's file without their consent. And that's wrong, of course. And then the other is families being taken uh, to court in secret. Uh, So a patient is having a guardian put over him, and the family or the caregiver and the patient advocate isn't even aware that this is going on. It's a abuse, uh, it's a a farce of our justice system. And uh, we have a bill going forward that would make sure that family members and patient advocates are informed so they have a chance to uh, defend the patient in court with their life on the line. It's almost like a capital case, really, because these guardians are just being put there in order to cut off medical treatment. And so that should be pretty obvious that um, being taken to court in secret is, is something, you know, more along the lines of uh, a Kafka story or the Soviet Union with show trials than the American justice system. But, uh, you know, we have those bills out there and we were wondering, and we're still wondering, you know, how how is the hospital community going to react? Because in a lot of cases, these are the hospitals pushing this. And... Um, we believe uh, there's kind of two motivations behind it. One, uh, the more sinister, is uh, simply cost-cutting measures. They don't want to take care of patients uh, who are nearing the end of life, and so rather than uh, giving the patients what they like, uh, simply cutting off care and letting the patients die is uh, economically viable for them and the health insurance industry. That's concern, of course, with doctor-prescribed suicide moving forward. And then the less sinister in motivation, but equally sinister in results, uh, idea behind what's driving these two issues we're looking to deal with is um, a sort of paternalistic attitude in the medical community that the doctor knows best. Now, of course, medical doctors undergo years of training, And um, they don't know everything, but they know a lot more about you as an individual, about um, many different health conditions. And so um, they're in a position to often know what the best course of treatment is, much better than an individual. Uh, They've gone to school for for years and training. And we don't want to diminish that. But when you learn a lot about an issue, you can also grow um, arrogant. 
or you simply become dismissive of other people based on something that they've said or something else they might say or some level of ignorance they might display. And you might grow, uh, and, and power, of course, is always a temptation for corruption. And in a lot of cases, we have doctors and nurses and hospital staff who believe that it truly is in the patient's best interest to die. And, and sometimes these family members, or even the patient themselves, is uh, not capable of understanding what's uh, you know the best situation for them. In the case of Bob Tank, Genevieve's dad, Bob wanted treatment. But whether it was for cost-cutting or the doctor believed that Bob was better off dead, even if Bob didn't want to die, uh, they didn't want to give him treatment. And so there was uh, an article written, and this is the first article uh, in the public mind that we've seen really addressing our bills, and this might be the opposition that we encounter. Now, the article is written by Jack Lazenberry. He's Michigan Radio's senior political analyst. Uh, Jack is no stranger to us. He was a big supporter of Jack Kevorkian back in the day. Um, he wrote a lot of articles criticizing our laws regulating uh, human embryonic stem cell research back in 2008, 2007. And uh, we know where Jack stands. We've had uh, even unfortunate um, dialogues with him through email, trying to get him to address corrections when he's made mistakes. And so Jack is no fan of the pro-life movement. Uh, He's often very, he doesn't flinch in his criticism of us as some sort of, as we put it in our blog post on this, fundamentalist religious plot to force patients to stay hooked up to machines forever. That's really the frame of reference of his article, Criticizing Our Bills. And he uses a ethicist from GVSU, Dr. Jeffrey Burns, to criticize our bills. Uh, and, and this is the kind of the, the money quote of the article. Uh, the, the House bills and the Senate bill are being sponsored and pushed by the religious right, primarily right to life of Michigan. Their bill is being written to stop abuses, to stop hospitals and doctors from forcing people to die without their consent. But that's not what's really happening. As Dr. Burns put it, quote, such a bill would allow for a family member, even a family member who had no real concern for the relative's wishes or well-being, to keep the patient alive for an indefinite period of time, unquote. Now, Jack started this article talking about, uh, you know, wistfully, <laughs> wistfully recalling Jack Kevorkian. Um, and we won't get into Dr. Death and all of that right now. But he's saying that our bills are uh, nominally, you know, dealing with these issues we talk about, secret DNR orders and patients being taken to court. But he's saying the real agenda behind this here is... Um, so allowing family members uh, to keep relatives alive forever. Well, that's just not the case. These bills address two specific problems. Like we said, secret DNR, DNR orders are plainly wrong. And the entire frame of Jack's article is it's all about patient autonomy, giving patients what they want. Well, what, what does the secret DNR order have to do with patient autonomy? In, in one sense, you're giving the patient treatment, you're refusing treatment to the patient the patient expects, and in essence, you're lying to the patient, and you're lying about what the patient asked for. That's just wrong. That's just wrong. There is no argument for a secret order refusing treatment. 
If hospitals want to force patients to have DNR orders, they ought to do it to their faces. As wrong as that is. And that second problem with hospitals going behind the backs of patients' families and legal patient advocates to subvert state law is wrong. It's an indefensible abuse. And again, you know, if you want to read more about this, you can go to our blog. Find it off our website, rtl.org. Uh, we link to Jack's article, so you can give that a read, and then our response. But basically, uh, this is very troubling if the hospitals are going to fight this. And hospitals need to ask themselves, do they want patients hearing what they're proposing here, that we keep secret DNR orders? That they keep these secret court guardianships? Now, there may be problems with the legislation, and for first-time bills that we introduce, there always are little details that we fix and address, and I think we do an excellent job of getting feedback, and we don't just you know, shut down critics. We listen if there's something important that needs to be addressed, or if there's a compromise that needs to be made. We'll frequently do that in order to get uh, a good bill forward. But uh, this is kind of just beyond the pale. There's another one more quote I wanted to leave you with. Um, and this is Dr. Burns talking, uh, introduced briefly by Jack, but then Dr. Burns talking from the article. It says, true, there may be some possibility of abuse today, but he, Dr. Burns, said, medical cases in these situations are immensely complicated and can't be addressed by the simplistic wording in these bills. He told me, Dr. Burns told me, they would, quote, stop doctors and hospitals and clinical ethicists like myself from being able to stop treatment, unquote. So that's very troubling. He's saying that these situations are so complicated that they just can't be addressed. Um, There's nothing complicated about secret DNR orders. They're wrong. And the wording in the bill is very simple. Don't do it. What's immensely complicated about that? I don't know. Guardianships should be sought in court, and there are cases when a patient or patient, a patient's family or patient's advocate is having trouble letting go, and they're in the wrong, and those deserve to be in court. In that case, the patient's best interest might be uh, refusing unwanted medical treatment. But that needs to be before a judge, and the patient needs someone representing him you know, not the hospital just saying, hey, can we cut off treatment? And a judge rubber stamping it and saying, sure, go ahead. Because that's what's happening now. You know, and and the words there, he said, it would stop doctors and hospitals and clinical ethicists like me from stopping treatment. You know, Dr. Burns and ethicists and bioethicists are not in charge of patients. And patients are not pawns or cogs in the machine to be ordered around as Dr. Burns sees fit. Now, maybe he's not understanding the bills. Maybe Jack didn't read the bills, which wouldn't be a surprise. Um, But uh, they show no interest here in even addressing the issues. They just want to sweep it under the rug. So we're going to see what's going to happen. But this could be a huge issue. And there's a lot of people out there with these kind of stories who aren't talking about it. I, I don't. It's kind of a little bit of a leap, but all of the accusations going around about sexual assault 
rape, whatnot, and powerful people. Um, these were all there before, but no one talked about it. And there's some parallels with these hospital cases. A lot of people have been or think they've been mistreated by hospitals or have had their rights violated in some way. And for whatever reason, no one seems to want to talk about it until we share a story like this, and then we start to hear more and more. So there's a lot uncovered here, and I really don't think it's in hospitals' best interest to pick secret DNR orders as the hill they want to die on. But we'll see. All right, so that story uh, that we heard about was so wonderful, um, and it's it's an opportunity to recognize that RU46 pill abortion reversals do exist. The opposition really doesn't like you to learn that. Um, and so the story, if you want to read the full story, you go to our website, rtl.org, and you can find the full story. But I just thought I'd share a couple highlights. So uh, how I learned about this story, I was at the uh, fundraising banquet for Alpha Family Center in Lowell. I live in Lowell. And so that's my local pregnancy center. And so I was there to support them. And they... Uh, had this story about um, RU46 abortion pill reversal. And I was just kind of dumbfounded because as far as I know, I haven't heard a single one of those in Michigan yet. This is a a new procedure. I think it's been done a couple hundred times or so, uh, the researchers. I don't know if there have been more of them out there we haven't heard about, but I just cannot recall, and I might be wrong, but I just cannot recall a single one in Michigan yet. And so... This was exciting because we've been focusing on abortion pill reversal lately. Now, how Alpha Family Center in Lowell heard about it is every uh, four times a year, Grand Rapids Right to Life has a support services luncheon where they invite all of the local pregnancy centers in town here and uh, adoption agencies, uh, all of the pregnancy help services and organizations. There's a lot of uh, smaller organizations and charities starting helping women facing crisis pregnancies kind of almost like a maternity home or helping them with college expenses there's a huge community and it's growing here in Grand Rapids Grand Rapids is like the pro-life capital of the world really but uh, maybe that's being a little braggadocious um and Grand Rapids has a lunch it's a free lunch they all come and there's a speaker and they all share Uh, a little bit, and then the speaker talks about uh, some important topic that they're all dealing with. And a year ago, they had a luncheon talking about abortion pill reversal. Alpha Family Center in Lowell heard about it at the support service luncheon, you know, brought it back and talked about it as an organization and said, that's something that we need to pursue. Uh, Now, Alpha Family Center is a smaller pregnancy center in a smaller town. I think the population of the city of Lowell is like about 4,000. Of course, it's in a major metropolitan area. It's only half hour from straight from the center of downtown, less than half hour. Um, but, uh, you know, this isn't like a big princey center with a multi-million dollar budget downtown. And so, uh, but that didn't deter them from being prepared because you never know when they're going to face this kind of situation. And so they did. And, uh, through, uh, you know, through the internet, a woman, wanted this pill reversal service. What had happened was she uh, was in the abortion clinic and had second thoughts about taking the abortion pill. Now, uh, these organizations that pride themselves on choice and personal autonomy and all those buzzwords, because that's 
frankly, all of those are to them. Uh, did they listen to this woman and uh, take her seriously and maybe say, maybe you shouldn't have an abortion because you're doubting it? Nope. Uh, what they did is they threatened her saying, well, uh, you already paid for it and you're not going to get your money back. And, uh, oh, we just told you that. And, oh, by the way, we're ready for you right now. Um, don't sit there and think about it. Come right back there and take the pill. And so basically they shoved they shoved an abortion on her and she took the pill and she said she immediately regretted it. And so she looked for information online and found this abortion pill reversal. Long story short, she got connected with Alpha Family Center in Lowell. They, will, they were able to uh, treat her. It was just a simple uh, treatment. Uh, progesterone shots that are commonly used in high-risk pregnancies have been around for many decades. And uh, it worked. She is uh, still pregnant. Baby, we're still waiting for the, the baby to be born, but they had an ultrasound at 10 weeks. There was a tense moment when the, the, the baby wasn't moving, uh, but the baby moved. Baby waved at everyone. Everything was good. Uh, and just an amazing story of how a local community used resources, developed elsewhere, and able, uh, was able to bring it all together and save a life in this particular situation. Now, one more thing I wanted to briefly touch on uh, before I finish with the story is uh, the reaction online. You know, we didn't get a lot of negative comments. I think we only got two or three, but there's something about abortion pill reversal that really rubs abortion supporters the wrong way. And uh, why is that? Uh, well, a couple of reasons. I think one... Uh, women who have had these abortions and deep down regret it but don't want to admit it. Um, often when someone is very angry about this issue and uh, debating it, um, in many cases there is an abortion in, in that person's history. I don't bring it up in the conversation because that's not, that's not very helpful. That's not, going, that's not treating that person... Um, uh, you know that's not just not a successful strategy to engaging that person um, and trying to get him to think about things, but often that's the case. I think another thing is it kind of really, especially this story exposes the whole framework of choice as kind of false. Um, this woman went to the abortion clinic. She wasn't sure. She didn't really want to have an abortion, but they basically uh, coerced her with financial threat and. Um, short-circuited their process in order to get her as soon as possible you know for them uh it's a it's a political issue it's a it's a highly charged moral issue um it sounds bad but i I think to them every every other woman they can get to have an abortion um buttresses their worldview that's kind of sad and so um all these things come together you know and they just, it makes people react really negatively to it. When, ostensibly, they talk about choice, and they talk about all choices are fine and acceptable, and we should support women for all the choices, but they're brutally attacking abortion pill reversal. And their friends at the uh, American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, which is, you know, a de facto pro-abortion organization, unfortunately, um, you know, s- throwing shade on it. Um, I had a long interlude with someone on on Twitter trying to explain, well, um, you know, ACOG says it's dangerous. Uh, 
and it's well no ACOG says there's no data on it because it's a new thing and they're still studying it um this is this is how it works with off with um you know medications and treatments like progesterone that are used off label uh someone has an idea to use it off label it's used it's then studied and then the study comes back saying is this effective or not effective because the FDA has already generally proven the safety of it just seeing can this over-the-counter medication be used successfully in other situations? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And so that study um, right now on abortion pill reversal is ongoing. It should be published soon, and we're really anxious to see what the results are. But, um, you know, progesterone treatments in high-risk pregnancies are not some sort of crazy off-the-wall treatment. You know, this is a common medical treatment that's been around for decades. We have safety data for decades. If you want to visit an earlier podcast we did on abortion pill reversal, you can get those details. But the real key point um, with their uh, arguments against this from a medical standpoint creates kind of a catch-22. They say that uh, there's no data, so uh, it could be dangerous and we shouldn't do it. But they say it's uh, dangerous, and so we shouldn't study it. Well, if, if we haven't studied it, how do we know it's dangerous? You know? And then if, it's, if you've declared it dangerous and say we can't study it, how will we ever know? It's, it's a catch-22. No matter what you do, you're, you're not right. Because why is that? Not because of some medical reasons. Because they oppose it in principle. Again, this isn't like... Uh, high-risk chemotherapy or some sort of uh, strange exotic medical treatment. It's a giving women a natural hormone, progesterone, already produced in their body, and it's using a treatment used in other high-risk pregnancies in also a high-risk pregnancy. This is not, I mean, this is a, in theory, in theory this all fits and in practice, this, this all fits, and it's just finding whether it's actually effective. And the early results uh, say that they are. Um, and again, we'll, in the current study they're working on, they say uh, it, the results might be as high as 60 or 70% success in saving the life of a child. And so um, that remains to be seen. But it's just amazing for people who, you know, for years defended the off-label use of RU46 as medically sound, suddenly, you know, switch gears 100% and say a similar thing with something that has been um, used for decades longer and has much more data and hasn't gone through a political process of the FDA is, is somehow inherently dangerous, simply because they don't want women to know that RU46 reversal might be possible because, you know, again, it threatens their worldview, and that's sad. So, an encouraging story, an example of how when the pro-life movement in the community comes together, lives are saved, and again, we're so thankful that we have that community out there always behind us. All right, that's all the time we have for this edition edition of LifeBeat. Join us again uh, next week after Thanksgiving. Have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, Our intern... Chanel Newton, who has been with us all through the fall, uh, is coming. Her internship's coming to an end, and she's learned a lot about pro-life issues. And LifeBeat is going to be just her. And uh, so you're going to get the uh, 
a lot of the news that we talk about, but through the eyes of a person who was, you know, pro-life, but who's learning about it for the first time. And as I can say, working here, joining the pro-life movement, when you start to read these stories on a daily basis, it can shock your conscience. So we'll see what Chanel comes up with. It should be interesting. So tune in for that. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you.